I'm thankful that he does still speak. And uh, this morning in my devotions, what God spoke to my heart about, one of the things was that I need to listen. And uh, the Lord wants to, to get our attention. Oftentimes we have so many other things clouded and crowded out. And uh, just like, uh, you know, God's not in the earthquake, the fire, he's in that still small voice. And our lives are so noisy that we don't hear the voice of God. He is speaking. Uh, he, again, he wants, he wants revival more than we want it. And uh, we're, the problem is not with him, the problem is with us. And uh, we don't, uh, uh, God doesn't come on our own terms, we come on God's terms. And I believe that God is, there's an underlining move of God that's happening uh, in various places. Uh, I've seen God do some great things the last several months, and, and, uh, and I believe he wants to, to, to do some great things in these coming days, and, and uh, we're going to be the ones that are going to hinder that, and I don't want to hinder that. I don't want to quench his spirit. I don't want to, uh, to grieve the spirit. And so uh, I'm thankful that he speaks and we need to listen uh, when he does speak. I, uh, I was thinking of Samuel Chadwick. Samuel Chadwick uh, was a, a preacher. He also had a college. And he said, the crying sin of the church is its laziness after God. And I thought, that's my crying sin too. My laziness after God. I know it's uh, this week, it wasn't scheduled, so to say. And and it's a harder week, uh, you know, all the things that you have to do, and, and it takes more effort. But it also is showing, you know, Lord, we're not going to be lazy after you. We're going to pursue you. In the midst of the opposition, in the midst of the difficulty, we're going to keep pursuing. I, I often think of that uh, phrase, faint but pursuing. And, uh, and sometimes we're traveling and things and get weary, but I need to keep pursuing Christ. And, and then uh, Samuel Chadwick said, uh, when, he, when the, when the uh, students would leave the college, he'd say, go and may the devil go with you. For if the devil does not go with you, you're not worth sending. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about opposition tonight. Um, I, I love church. I love being in church. I, I, I grew up in a Christian home and my mom and dad were there Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Dad's faithful, uh, uh, always on visitation, and uh, he's pastoring now, my father, but uh, I'm thankful for church, and I've just got some great memories of being in church, and, and, uh, and I, love, uh, I love services. I'm in church a lot, of course, as an evangelist, and, and I remember Sunday school and, and, uh, and the flannel graph. Uh, I remember that, and, and, uh, and I was thinking, okay, who's the, the shortest man in the Bible? And, uh, and probably many of us would say, well, it's Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus is the shortest man in the Bible. I mean, it was, he was a weave stature, and he was the smallest piece on flannel graph, so uh, he had to be the smallest person in the Bible. Uh, but tonight, I, I submit to you that there's someone shorter than, than uh, Zacchaeus, and that is Nehemiah. Uh, oh, that's bad, isn't it? Uh, and uh, Nehemiah, and that is where we're going tonight, to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah. So Genesis, Exodus, Nehemiah, maybe not quite. Uh, you might have to find it there in, in your concordance, but uh, Nehemiah, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 6, and my mom says, Tim, it's not Nehemiah, it's Bildad. And Bildad was one of Job's encouraging, wonderful friends, not really. Uh, and it says, Bildad the shoe height. So Bildad the Shuhite, Nehemiah, or Zacchaeus, you can discern for yourself. Uh, someone also said it could be the, the man who slept on his watch. But uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 6. And uh, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. 
in verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that, at their, and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I praise you that your word is alive, that it is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I praise you that your word is like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Lord, I don't know where you find us here tonight. Lord, some of us have had some hard days, and, and, uh, and maybe there's uh, some hardness of heart, and I pray that you would, you would soften our hearts right now. Lord, that you would eliminate the distractions, that you would arrest our attention, and that we would listen. You're wanting to speak tonight. There's something you have for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would listen and that we would obey what it is that you have for us tonight. Lord, exalt yourself. Draw us nearer to you by us being here today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are many lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah. He's having heard the walls of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt and receiving special permission from the king to go to Jerusalem to correct the situation, Nehemiah demonstrated unmatched skills and leadership organization. Uh, he was uh, a godly man. He knew the Lord and, and, uh, and was focused and dependent, even though all the opposition that was coming, he was focused and dependent upon the Lord. And God wrought a great miracle through him. There are those in our churches today that don't see that there's a great work that God's wanting to do. Some have become so discouraged that they have stopped fighting. They've quit. Many of us try to do things in our own strength and not in God's. And the great work that God has for us will never be accomplished that way. There was no way that, that Nehemiah could do what, what was required of him without God. And yet, when we start to do a great work for the Lord, there's always opposition. And I, I'm thankful for the opposition. I'm thankful that there's things that are worthy to be opposed because God is seeking to do a great work. And tonight, I want to speak to you about pursuing through opposition. Pursuing through opposition. We're going to look at three principles. Number one, the great work is a motivation to stay focused. Because of opposition, we must stay focused and dependent upon God. Look there in verse number three. Now, Sambalat and Geshem, they're trying to distract. They're trying to get Nehemiah off of the wall, get him away from the work. And he says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I come down to you? Now, there is a tremendous opposition that Nehemiah is facing. Yet through it all, he stayed focused and did not get distracted. And God wrought a great work through him. And the same thing, I believe, is true in our lives. There's a great work that God has for you. 
Now, I know that uh, uh, there's some building plans and things. That's a great work. But even more than that, the great work that you have is raising your children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The great work is being a godly father and a godly husband to your family. Uh, the great work is being a, a godly wife and a, and a godly mother to your family. And, and that, those are some great things that God has given to you. The great work is, is the ministry of prayer. Uh, ah, Lord, there's so many things on my mind, and, and, uh, and this is not in my notes, but, but I'm going to hit this while I'm thinking about it. My grandmother, she goes to uh, Heritage Baptist Church in San Leandro, and uh, Pastor Alan Fong, and when he was here a couple of years ago, he talked about my grandmother. And I went to that church for the first time several years ago, and they said, oh, you're Marge Schmidt's grandson. And I said, yes. And they said, your grandmother is our secret weapon. And I said, well, how's that? They said, well, your grandmother prays for us. And uh, my grandmother gets up at 4 a.m. every morning, and she prays. She not only prays, but she gets a hold of the ear of God. She prays for the, for the, the staff, for all the missionaries, uh, Pastor Fong uh, uh, calls her every week. He'll uh, make sure that Marge Schmidt gets the prayer list every week because he knows she prays. There'll be things that he will drop out by to her, say, will you pray for this with me on, on these areas? My grandmother is known by her prayer life. That's her ministry. She said, Tim, I wish, I was in her house several years ago. She says, I wish I could do the ministries I used to do. I wish I could teach science school. I wish I could play the violin in the orchestra. I wish I could go out on, on visitation, go door to door with the rest of the church, but she says, physically, I can't do that anymore. So God's taught me something. What's that, Grandma? God's taught me that my ministry is the ministry of prayer. And God so got a hold of my heart that, that uh, he began to show me that's, what, that's the ministry I want you to have, is the ministry of prayer. No matter where you're at and, and the ministries of this church, every single one of us need to enroll in the ministry of prayer. And that is a great work. And when you set out to the great work of prayer, there's going to be opposition. You know, prayer is not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. We get more opposed in this spiritual discipline than any other spiritual discipline. Uh, there, uh, it's easier to come to church on a Sunday morning than it is to have a consistent prayer life. It's easier to come to church Sunday school and Sunday night and, and Wednesday night and even to come to a, to a, a week of meetings here and, and yet not have a consistent prayer life. It's easier to do those things. It's easier to be faithful on visitation, uh, faithful in other areas than it is to have a consistent prayer life. And I believe it's because we get attacked here in prayer than any other spiritual discipline. God, you know, the, the devil doesn't mind if you read through the Bible as long as you're not listening. <laughs> Again, it's not the, uh, how much you go through God's Word, it's how much God's Word goes through you. And so uh, this opposition that Nehemiah is facing, uh, he says, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to let the opposition stop me. I'm going to stay focused because there's a great work God has put upon my heart, and I'm going to continue on for God. Now, how did this great work get started? We need to go back to the chapter 1 and find out how this great work of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem got started. Now, Nehemiah's name means Yahweh consoles. Now, Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. He was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes I. And as a cupbearer, he was highly trusted, respected, and had an influential position. Nehemiah was a man of great character. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer. We look in verse number 2 of Nehemiah chapter 1. Then Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. 
And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. These are God's people. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Nehemiah sees the condition of Jerusalem, and here's Jerusalem where the, the walls are broken down, the gates are, are burned with fire, that God's people are in, affliction, are in affliction and reproach. Now, Nehemiah is a praying man, and, and when you go to prayer, you, you're not just going to, to give your burden, you're actually, as you, as you grow in your prayer life, you're growing and, and praying, and you give God your burden, but then He gives you His burden. And Nehemiah is a praying man, and Nehemiah says, God says to Nehemiah, I want to show you what I see. I want to show you what, what I want to do. See, there's a ruined situation, and God wants to revive and restore the ruin. Look at verse number four. I believe this next verse is the key verse of the whole book. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain day and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. God shared his own heart with Nehemiah, but this burden's a very heavy burden. Prayer is not easy, it's hard work. Uh, it is uh, it is a heavy burden. There's times where I've asked God, God, give me your burden. And then he places his burden upon me and I can't handle it. And it's like, I, it's like I've got a hundred pound bag of cement and, and, uh, and I'm like, God, I want that hundred pound bag of cement. And then I'm like, Lord, I need you to carry me while I hold this hundred pound bag of cement. I can't carry it. You've got to carry me and your burden together. Uh, and this, and here Nehemiah, he's going to get God's burden, but this burden is heavy. This burden is, is something that's going to weigh him down where he is, is mourning, he is weeping, and he is fasting. And he's beginning to get the heart of God. He's getting his burden. And that's what prayer is. It's to get, get to that intimacy, that oneness with the Lord, that we get that heart of the Lord, the heart of the Lord for souls, the heart of the Lord for eternity. The heart of the Lord that, that the Spirit of God would be seen through our lives. Now God wanted to revive and resurrect the ruined situation. And, and all revivals uh, has, you know, begin, as, as it says there in 2 Chronicles, through what? Humility and prayer. will humble themselves and pray. Every revival has prayer. And when God wants to, re, to, re, to restore the ruin, He sets people to pray. And there may be someone that, that he'll burden upon his heart like, like Evan Roberts or others that, that, that just God begins to put upon his burden upon their heart and, and, and birth that, that reviving that he wants to, to take place. But I remind you that Nehemiah is not a preacher. He's a career man. You see, it's not just the preachers who should be the ones in prayer. We need men and women of prayer. We need some Marge Schmitz that can get a hold of the ear of God that can pray. Charles Finney was uh, an evangelist uh, in the 1800s, and, and uh, there's great revivals that took place uh, underneath uh, his ministry. And, uh, even the, the uh, city of Rochester, New York, uh, uh, the Reader's Digest named it one of the, the best places to live because of the revivals that took place under Charles Finney. And Charles Finney had uh, two men. I don't know what the, we don't know what the other man's name is, but he had another man by the name of Nash, was his last name. I don't know what his first name was. I can't remember. But these men and Nash would travel with Charles Finney. You say, oh, what was he doing? Uh, was he the song leader? Was he the music guy? No. You know what his ministry was? Prayer. 
they would go into this town and, and maybe they would find a, a, a widow lady and, and, uh, and they would put them up in that, in that house and, and Nash would get into that, into that room and close the door. And he would spend whole days in prayer. He would spend days and days in prayer. One lady said to, to Charles Finney, uh, he hasn't come out of his, his room in almost a week. Should I go check on him? And he says, no, leave him alone. He's in prayer. Fasting, seeking God. And God did some great things through, through the ministry of Charles Finney. Well, this man Nash died. He's buried out in a, in a field at a farm. And hey, I, I'd love to go find it someday, but I mean, it's just so obscure. Nobody really knows much about him. He passed away. And a month later, Charles Finney got out of evangelism. The power was gone. Well, we think that it's us, right? No, it's prayer. It's prayer. And it's, it's men and women of prayer. I think of David Gibbs and said, rare is it that the greatest Christian's on the platform. You see, your pastor needs some people that would pray for him. My house should be called the house of prayer, Jesus says, and, and, and there's a ministry God wants to give you, and that ministry is the ministry of prayer. God began to burden his heart, and he's fasting, he's praying before the God of heaven. He's becoming burdened for the condition of his land, of his people. Are you burdened for the condition of America? Abortion, over 60 million murdered babies, homosexuality, alcohol, drugs, immorality. Pastor friend of mine said in the first couple of months in San Diego, alcohol sales rose from the, uh, after the shutdown, rose 300%. God is mocked and rejected. There's such a complacency that's sweeping across our land. Instead of the world getting more churchy, the church has gotten more worldly. A friend of mine, uh, Dave Welch, pastors in Elk Grove now, but he pastored in Cortland, and there's a, a church, Cortland Community Church, and, and uh, they called him to, to be the pastor, and he's an independent Baptist, but uh, they said, uh, you know, we want to have you be our pastor, but we don't want you to, to make this a Baptist church. And, uh, and he says, well, why not? And, and they said, well, we don't want any denomination to rule over us. We want to be like self-governing. He's like, okay. Uh, you want to have like the Bible be the authority of, and faith of practice. And they're like, yes. And, and he starts going through the Baptist distinctives and he says, congratulations, you don't know it yet, but you're a Baptist. <laughs> well, eventually they changed the name from Cortland Community Church to Cortland Baptist Church and God's done some great things. And, and, uh, and this, uh, in the first couple of months, he kept getting phone calls from a pastor that had some, uh, some uh, uh, fellowship things and and, uh, and, and my friend Dave just didn't want to go. And he says, okay, he says, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll find out what this is about. So this, this man calls me, he says, now what's, what's this next fellowship about? And they said, well, uh, this time we're going to talk about how not to use the Bible in your messages. And he says, are you talking about like not using like a physical Bible and using like an iPad instead? And they said, no, how not to use the scripture, use the Bible in your messages. Now, I, I'm not as bold as my friend Dave, but he's pretty bold and he went off. <laughs> You know, it is the Word of God that changes lives. Amos 8.11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. There is a famine in America. It's not of bread and water, but it's a famine of hearing the Word of God. First Peter, or First Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, that shall re not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, 
and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And so uh, this, this condition of America, there's such a complacency, there's such a, an apathy towards God's word. And, and it's not just America, it's in our churches. But then even closer than that, even some of the good churches where I'm in, there, there just seems to be such an apathy and such a complacency towards God, towards prayer, towards God's word. Then closer than that, I, I think of the apathy that's in my own heart. The complacency towards prayer, the complacency towards God's word. Nehemiah was burdened about the condition of, of the people. Look at verse number five and see his prayer. He says, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear be now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. Oh yes, the, the sins of our nation. But then he looks, looks here, he says, but which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. You see, it's not just the conditions around me and about me. Nehemiah saying it's the condition within me. I can't change America, but I can do something about Tim Schmidt. We don't have God's power, it seems, in our churches. We believe more and, and trust more in promotion than we do in prayer. More in organizing than in agonizing. The problem with America is not at the White House. It's not at the U.S. Capitol. The problem is in the church house. The problem is, is in churches like this. And with an evangelist here, uh, uh, there needs to be an evangelist from California, from Sacramento, that has the fear of God upon his heart, that is sold out to God. And we need churches that have the fear of God and, and that are sold out to God, that spend that time in prayer and agonize and seek God. And trust more in prayer than in promotion. But Evangelist's friend, his son, took over a church and they had a vacation Bible school this one summer and, and they didn't have time to really prepare for it uh, like they wanted to. And so uh, he began to have these prayer times and, and, uh, and this uh, evangelist son said, you know, we're praying and just seeking God. God, you're going to have to bring the kids to this vacation Bible school. It was a, it was a one-day thing at the city park. And, uh, and so that day came, they hadn't promoted it that much, but they spent a lot of time in prayer. Over a hundred, a hundred kids came that day. They were just in awe. They're amazed at what God did. Well, the next year they thought, well, we've run it, run it now. We know what we're doing. And, and, uh, and now we have time to prepare the plan. And so we're going to, we're going to print out these flyers. We're going to, you know, canvas the area. And so they had all those things the next year. And, and they had this big day for the vacation Bible school at the park. And, it came to that day, and about five or six kids showed up. And immediately, the pastor's heart was smitten with conviction. As God impressed upon him, you left me out. You didn't pray. You didn't seek my face. You see, it's not in our own strength. It's in God. It's not in our, in our, in our abilities, in our, you know, we need to be organized. I, I'm all for that. But we, we trust more in that than we do in prayer. Nehemiah was burdened over the condition of the land. And he says, confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee both by and my father's house have sinned. He then goes on the rest of that prayer. Look at verse number 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Some people ask me, Tim, how can I pray for you? I've been saying the last two years, pray that I'll fear God. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. 
It's by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. We fear everything else, but we don't fear God. I, I feel like right now, here's Goliath. And Goliath is mocking God, mocking the people of God. And all the people of God are cowering in fear, including the leader, Saul. And the people here in America, oh, here's, Goliath is so big. He's so strong. And, and we're cowering in fear. Where is it that there is a passion and a young man's heart for what? For God. For God's glory. Who is this Philistine that he should defy God? His focus wasn't on how big the Philistine was. His focus was how great and how awesome God is. And we know the outcome of this battle between David and Goliath, but it really wasn't a battle between David and Goliath, was it? It was a battle between Goliath and God. God used a uh, a young man in a great way to, to uh, uh, kill Goliath, but it was ultimately a Goliath against God. And I feel like right now that, oh, there's this big Goliath and, and there's these giants in the land and this is not the time to, to cower in fear. No, it's the time to press forward for God. This great work was started by prayer and anguish. I don't know how the church here got started. I know how my home church got started, but it was started by prayer. I'm sure that this church was started by prayer. We look in chapter 2 in verse number 4. It says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? Now he's coming into the king's presence. He's so burdened now. His countenance is showing his, his burden, his heart. And, and, uh, and so the king at any moment could, could snuff out his life. This is a matter of life and death. And so he says, For what dost thou make request? So I pray to the God of heaven. Now, this was a, a quick, silent prayer. Now, I'm sure that some of us, when trials come, we would like to say, time out. <laughs> uh, you know, let me get some things right with God. Let me, let me get, get back into the prayer closet. And, uh, and we can't say time out to the trials, but how wonderful it is that we've already been praying. We're already seeking to be right with God. We're already surrendered that when the trial comes, it doesn't take us a long time to get a hold of the ear of God. You see, this short, brief prayer was preceded by chapter 1, by his long praying with the Lord. This work was started by prayer, but then, uh, and, and God uh, uh, gave uh, that, uh, that king, gave favor there to Nehemiah, and, and uh, he says, go ahead and rebuild the walls. And, and this work was started by prayer, but it also was sustained by prayer. Go to chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse number 6. Chapter 2, uh, he inspects the walls, and then uh, chapter 3, the rebuilding begins. There's many lessons about the different gates that, that we can learn. But then chapter 4, in verse number 6, it says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together there, uh, joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. There was unity. And uh, by the way, unity uh, is, only comes through God. And it comes from us being spirit-filled, from being people that, that pray and seek God's face because the flesh wants to get in there and wants to disrupt it. Here they had a mind to work. There was a unity there. Verse number seven, but it came to pass when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and the Mosquitoites, oh wait, that's not in there, <laughs> heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped. Then they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, which, which was being accomplished for God. <laughs> No, they were wroth. This is then where they were very wroth. And notice the unity that the enemy has. And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to 
hinder it? How do they handle this opposition? Verse number nine. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. This great work that's happening in chapter six is it was started by prayer there in chapter one and it was sustained by prayer. This church was started by prayer. It's going to be sustained by prayer. I remember asking a seasoned evangelist many years ago when I was starting off for advice, and he said, Tim, you get started in evangelism on your knees, and you stay in evangelism on your knees. Prayer is the backbone of the church. Prayer is the backbone of our own lives. The Lord has proved to me time and again, without prayer, my ministry is nothing. Without prayer, the ministries here are nothing. John R. Rice said, all failures are prayer failures. I believe that. All failures are prayer failures. You see, that's why it's important that you pray for one another. That's why it's important that you pray with your spouse, with your children. That's why you got to pray for other people in the church. You need to pray for the various ministries that are going on. That's why it's important that you need to pray for your pastor and his family. And seek to be as Aaron and her and uphold Moses' arms in the time of battle. We see this great work was started by prayer and sustained by prayer. But what should we do when the opposition comes? When opposition comes, go to God and don't stop fighting. The great work is a motivation to stay focused. But number two, when opposition comes, go to God and don't stop fighting. Now, isn't it nice that when opposition comes, it only comes once and that's it? Maybe not quite, right? One of our first, our first year in evangelism, I was invited to preach at a camp in Alaska. And uh, I'd never had been to Alaska up to that point. I've been a couple of times since then. But uh, we go to Alaska, and one of my evangelist friends says, Tim, this camp you're going to go to is the most rustic camp you'll ever go to. Uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of those in Alaska. And, uh, and this camp wasn't quite finished yet. Uh, uh, it, uh, we were put in the VIP cabin, and the VIP cabin wasn't done. The, the roof wasn't quite all on yet. And so what the temperature was on the outside is what it was on the inside. Now, we left Sacramento 100 degrees. Uh, we arrived there in Alaska, and it's about 50 or so, and it's rainy. And so it feels like winter. And I didn't, I didn't uh, bring my, my warm clothes. And, and so I'm cold. But then uh, in Alaska, they, they probably should make it the state bird, but they have these things called mosquitoes. And they were everywhere. I mean, I've never seen so many mosquitoes. I mean, you can just see the swarms of mosquitoes. As you're walking, I mean, you, you spray from head to toe uh, that mosquito repellent, and they're, they're just bouncing right off of you as you're walking to the different places. Uh, when they wanted to play a game outside, they would fog the area uh, for about three hours so that it can clear the mosquitoes out of the way so they could play that game. Uh, and when we would go into that cabin, about 30 mosquitoes or so would come in when we'd open up that door. Now, they don't bother me that much, but they love Megan, probably because she's so sweet. And, uh, and so they're just, she's just getting eaten alive with those things. And, uh, and, and there was, uh, I don't know, several months before, Megan kept saying to me, Tim, uh, I'd really like to go camping sometime. Now, my dad, uh, we didn't go camping that much. He's done a lot of other great things, but we did not go camping much uh, as, a, as a kid. And, and, uh, and so I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to go camping. And, and she kept saying those things. Well, uh, that week, uh, there was no uh, running water, uh, and the generators weren't working, so there was no electricity, so there were no showers. Uh, and uh, we got there on Monday. Tuesday, she says to me, hey, Tim, you know that thing about camping? I said, yes. And she says, I'm good now. 
And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm fine. Like, okay, so you don't want to go? And she says, no, this, is, this, this does it. Uh, I'm good. And, and so, you know, I'm preaching there at the camp. And it's the first time I've preached uh, at, a, at a camp. And, and, uh, and I'm just struggling. Uh, I, it's like I'm preaching to a brick wall. Uh, and I, maybe you've never done this before, but, but uh, I, Tuesday night, I go get along with God outside and I'm, I'm complaining. I am griping. And I'm saying, God, I don't even know why I'm here. Nothing's happening at this camp. I can think of, of, of many other evangelists, many other preachers that would do a much better job than I would at this camp. God, I, I, and I was basically, I wanted out. Uh, I just wanted to, to leave. I uh, wasn't clicking uh, uh, with some of the people there, and, and uh, just nothing was happening. Wednesday afternoon, we're able to get off the campsite, and, and, uh, and we're able to get a shower and all of that, get cell phone service again. I called my dad. My dad could tell I was so discouraged, and and uh, he says, Tim, I said, Dad, nothing's happening here. I don't even know why I'm here. He says, Tim, don't let the devil lie to you like this. He says, God must be at work. You just can't see it or you wouldn't have so much opposition right now. And I thought, you know what? There is a lot of opposition. And I'm not seeing God at work. And, and maybe because there is that opposition, God is seeking to do something. I thought, okay, I'm going to trust God. That night I preached a simple gospel message. And there was a fourth grade girl named Helen. Helen came to, to the camp. Her mom and dad did not allow her to go to church, but they gave her special permission to come to this camp. She had such a hard look on her face when she came. And Wednesday night after I got done preaching, giving the invitation, she immediately leaves her seat in the back, goes right to her counselor and says this, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of my life. I want Jesus Christ. That's pretty good right there. Uh, I didn't know that until the next day, what she had said to her counselor. And, and uh, that... Uh, after she is dealt with, I didn't know if you know she gotten saved or whatever. But but Helen comes out of the uh, the building there, and it was free time, and I was over by the ping pong table, and I said, "Hey, Ellen, Ellen, do you want to play ping pong?" She says, "Yes." Now she was looking for a place uh, to put her Bible, uh, but the only place she could put it would be on the dirt and the rocks, and and she didn't want to treat God's word like that, so she puts it on the ping pong table. And so we begin to play. We don't play a real game, but we're just hitting the ball back and forth and trying to avoid the Bible. And, and then two other uh, kids come up and they say, hey, can we play too? And I said, sure. And one of the girls says, Helen, move your Bible. And I was wondering what she was going to do next. She takes it and puts it in her arm, puts it close to her chest like this and continues to play ping pong. The next game we played was carpet ball. That's one-handed as well. And, and that Bible just stayed close. The next thing she did was play tag. And, uh, and I just I have those memories of her running full speed, Bible in hand, close to her chest. The Bible meant something to her after she got saved. And the next day, uh, we heard the testimony, and, and uh, the counselor said, for the first time last night, I saw Helen smile. God was at work. I just couldn't see it. There was opposition. That opposition was seeking to discourage me, to get me to quit. And sometimes that's all the devil wants to do, is to get the fight out of you, to where you quit, and you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't seek God for these things anymore. You can just become complacent and not spend that time in God's Word, not spend that time in prayer, and that missing church won't bother you as much anymore, and you begin to quit. When I was in college. There was a teacher that just had tremendous discernment of character. And I, uh, I, I, he only taught one class that was undergraduate. He was a brilliant man, brilliant mind, and, and uh, it was political books. And, and I, I was on his good side uh, for the most part until I took that class. And I'm not a good student. Uh, I'm a B's and C's kind of a guy. But, 
But I took that class, and I remember uh, one weekend we had a take-home test, and so you have to turn it in the next day the, on that Monday. And that weekend I was in a wedding, and, and I was gone from the school, and I come back late at night, and I'm like, oh, no, I didn't study for that test. Not only did I not study for the test, I didn't even take the test. And I got to hand it in the next morning. And so I get up at 4 a.m., I study for a half hour, and I take the test. And I think to myself, this is going to be the worst test I've ever handed in in my life. I remember putting it on the, the, uh, the, the table there and I was praying that somehow the wind uh, uh, would, would blow and, 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 dr- and drop it into the wastebasket and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Brother Sheets would not see that test. Uh, I was hoping something like that would happen, but God did not answer that prayer. Uh, and so the next day I get the test uh, back in my box with, uh, with no markings, no grade, just these words, Tim, come see me. <laughs> I go into his office and he says, sit down. He says, what happened? I begin to tell him, well, I was, you know, at this wedding and things and, and I came back late at night, got up at 4 a.m., you know, tried to study and, and, I, and I took the test. He says, Tim, that's not what I'm talking about. The test, I think, was maybe seven pages. From two and a half pages all the way uh, to the end was blank. He says, Tim, you quit. It got hard and you quit. He says, when you get out in the ministry, he says, when things get hard, you cannot quit. He says, if you would have just sat there and read through every single question, you could have answered more. And I'm sitting in the seat and I'm looking at him like, oh yeah, I know that's King David. I knew some of those things immediately just by reading through those questions. He was right. And God opened up my eyes to a huge character flaw in my life. That when things got hard, I went out. I want to quit. I told that teacher a couple of years ago, I saw him again in North Carolina. I said, I said, Mr. Sheets, do you remember when, uh, when I, I was in your office? And he says, yep, I remember. And, uh, and I said, I want to just, I already told him thank you before, but I said, I just want to say thank you. Because God showed me a huge character flaw. And he then said to me, he says, Tim, I told you that because I saw it in you because it's also in me. He says, I have that same issue as well. You see, when opposition comes, this isn't a time for us to quit. It's a time to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my heart even, even harder. I'm going to seek God with all of my heart. I'm going to pursue Him in spite of the opposition. I'm not going to quit because of the opposition. There's some opposition going on here at Central Valley. This is not the time to quit. It's the time to press on. It's the time to seek God even more than you've ever sought Him before. You see that this great work was started by prayer and sustained by prayer. And then when opposition came, they went to God and they did not stop fighting. Now they were attacked in all kinds of ways. In chapter 4 and 5 and 6, they're attacked by mockery, by conspiracy, by extortion, by compromise, by slander, by treachery. Uh, They were were attacked all kinds of different ways. 1 Peter 2, 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. We also have this opposition. And what was the result of them staying focused in prayer? Staying focused in the fight? Go over to to chapter 6, verse number 9. For they all made us afraid, and boy, fear paralyzes us, saying, their hands should be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Here's a statement I want you to remember. The power to do what God requires resides in God. The power to do what God requires resides in God. 
They could not get it done apart from God. You cannot do the things that God wants you to do apart from Him. So he says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And God did an amazing thing. God worked a great miracle. Go to verse number 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elu, in 50 and 2 days. Megan and I have had the privilege of being in Jerusalem and Though the walls that, that Nehemiah built uh, uh, in Jerusalem, I think, has been conquered 27 times. I could be wrong on that number. But, uh, but they, the walls have been destroyed many times. Uh, and, uh, but to think of the, the massive uh, structure that those walls are. I mean, this is a miracle. It's amazing. And then they did it in just 52 days. My favorite verse in all of the book of Nehemiah is verse 16. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, And all the heathen that were about us saw these things. I love this. They were much cast down in their own eyes. Those that were trying to discourage and, and, and defeat Nehemiah, they are now discouraged and defeated themselves. Why? Verse The last part of that verse. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. The final point. Live in such a way that even those that oppose you, would have to say that God did it. God was in this. God did it through us. There is a great work going on here at this church. But there's also opposition. And you stay focused and dependent upon God. And you seek Him harder and, and with all of your heart and more than you ever have before. May you build up the walls in your own hearts and help build up the walls in the hearts of others. May you be strong and impregnable against the enemy. May those that oppose say, God was in this. God did it. And you, through the Lord's strength, finish the work that He's called you to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.